Hello, I'm M. And I'm E. And welcome to Blood and Turf, a podcast about the links between the ideology of turfs, trans-exclusionary radical feminists, and fascism, cults, pseudoscience, and other reactionary political phenomena. Glinner is dead. Long live rolling. The Twitter turfs have a new avatar. In this episode, we're going to have a look at the popular author J.K. Rowling's descent into the depths of online transphobic weirdness and have a wider discussion about the manner and implications of how transphobic online spaces rapidly radicalize those who frequent them into becoming conspiracy theorists. Um, Just a small correction. On our pilot episode, when speaking about Blanchard, um, I accidentally characterized um, his groupings of women as both uh, AGPs or autogenophiles, and that's, that's not true. It's a really small correction, but important. Okay, so uh, I guess the, the main subject matter for this episode is, is uh, JK Bloody Rowling, who's just gone on another Twitter rampage. Yeah, she's probably going to have been on three by the time we finish recording this. So un- unfortunately, our, our, we might be a little bit out of date in our joke. So I was, I was um, writing up the show notes. I think I, I, I actually tweeted about this and like sent you a message about it. I was writing up the show notes for this episode, like with all of the various different, like ridiculously boring papers I've been reading about it, um, about like online radicalization. And like in the middle of me reading another like terrible German think tank paper about Stormfront, there was just like another like vague tweet about JK Rowling saying something. I was like, oh fucking hell, do I have to put like another section in the show notes? Because I've got on, the, on my laptop, I've got about 40 different tabs from about a week ago that are just like weird tweets that she's liked, weird articles that are being like, hmm, yeah, uh, yeah, JK Rowling um, has made another tweet about, quote, men in dresses. And, I'm, and it's just like, brilliant. Now I have to add another tab to the giant tab pile. Thanks, Joanne. I, because uh, of that sweet, sweet trans privilege that I have, I, uh, I, I just get the news pumped directly into my veins and haven't had to be so diligent because it's just constantly living rent through in my head anyway anyway yeah i'm let's see we've got we've got a lot of stuff to talk to 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 like cover because this is a bit of a weird one but i guess for the benefit of the listener the context is that jk rowling has been going on like regular twitter sprees of like posting about whatever her like latest weird belief about trans people is and like liking lots of posts from an increasingly bizarre array of like quite extreme individuals. So there's there's sort of um, a lot of people have noticed a trend where she is rapidly becoming more extreme in her political stances and that this is happening to an alarming degree at short notice in real time. And basically, there's a, there's now a widespread opinion that she is rapidly becoming the new Glinner. Yeah, it's not just in terms of the um, you know absolutely off the wall kind of thing she's saying, but also just the fact that she can't seem to log off. Yeah, I think like it's it's not just in terms of like the stuff she's posting, is it? Like she's she's fulfilling a new role in like the like transphobe slash turf Twitter sphere. Yeah, she's become a character. Yeah, she's become a character. Like she's joking apart, is sort of becoming the the new Glinner except like she's a lot more spotless than Glinner because Glinner was kind of kind of grimy you know well for a start you know she's she's a woman with a working class background like she's not some dude who writes comedies she is a philanthropist and also she's a children's author Glinner didn't do children's stuff she does kids stuff so she's perfect for 
every 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 parent of every little Timmy out there. Yeah, exactly. In a lot of ways, she's probably going to be like a lot more politically, or she would have been a lot more politically useful to to like turf advancements if she had been the one who was like spearheading things as opposed to Glinner, because Glinner, I think, sort of salted the earth for a lot of for a lot of people because of how like alienating and, and combative he was. Yeah. Whereas she hasn't been doing the interpersonal vitriol quite so much. Like there are some examples of it. There's like um particularly like the recent lawsuit stuff is an example of like a like similar behaviors. But she hasn't been doing like the 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 like the deep online brain worm flame war stuff that Graham Linehan was particularly notable for. She's also just been much smarter in terms of um, any drama escalating because she's just sued people because she's a lot richer than Glenna as well. And she's so, richer than the Queen. Whoa, she's richer than the Queen? Right, so um, basically this, this, goes on, this goes around a lot about J.K. Rowling, which is that she's um, like richer than the Queen. Um, yeah. And... I think this is in terms of like banked wealth. Ah, uh, in terms of those fat stacks of cash. Yeah, is it in terms of in terms of like fat stacks and like personal assets? Um, oh yeah, but the, the royal family don't actually have much of that comparatively. Like, if you compare them to like uh, people who are famous for being rich, like moguls, they have very little in comparison on purpose. Being realistic in terms of her like access and control of capital, like J.K. Rowling probably controls a couple of billion quid. Yeah. Which is bonkers. Um, whereas in terms of like access and control of capital, uh, the royal family controls Britain. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Doesn't that make J.K. Rowling better off? What not controlling Britain? I don't know. I feel like she wants. She would want to. Like she's got mm. that horrible, horrible like British middle class mindset. She's really kind of like establishmentist. Um, that actually that actually brings us back to the original point. In in the terms of J.K. Rowling's posting, her first foray was virulent anti-Corbynism, which um, she, she also didn't get deeply into. In in terms of J.K. Rowling as a turf, blah blah blah, that is completely open knowledge now. You've got an attempted usage of J.K. Rowling's radicalization is apparently that they tried to use it in an educational newsletter, which she immediately sued. Um, whereas like. Whereas, like, when she was doing her Corbynism, you saw her get discussed and made fun of in the same way that people make fun of, you know, Tumblr teens for doing, uh, in, in terms of, like, internet whisper networks. So you would have, every so often, you would see people responding, and not like now, where everyone responds with basically the same joke as a way to dunk on someone. The odd person, occasionally, would respond to one of her anti-Corbyn tweets and quote tweet it and be like, well, you know, uh, J.K. Rowling has terrible views on um, indigenous people. Look at this thing from her shitty American wizard thing. Uh, and it, but it would be the odd person, whereas now it's being talked about in newspapers. So the Corbyn stuff, like, although she 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 really hated Corbyn, and that was why people started saying she was Barrett, which she is. But but like in in terms of her general anti anti LGBT stuff, that that was kind of always there. And and she did the similar Glenna thing in that like the more people criticised her the more she doubled down and, and became more online in refuting her criticisms. Okay, right. Yeah, because I think that um, her becoming like more prominently transphobic and like Corbynism becoming a thing. Yeah, they, they were like concurrent phenomena, but like she was... She was more coy about it. 
Yes. Yeah. I guess like she could have been caught up in that like online phenomenon where a lot of like I guess like blue check mark centrists have got a lot more like willing to do like essentially like dog whistle calls for violence and like centrism has become like its its own kind of like radicalized prong of 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 politics now because you mentioned the blue check marks and I actually think this is important because when you say like yeah centrist kind of glomming together People make jokes about this on Twitter where they're like, oh, the blue check marks, you know, it's a, it's like a class divide and, and they have different class interests and stuff. But I do think that is literally true in the sense that blue ticks who usually would be a blue tick because they're really into gardening or a blue tick who's, who's a writer's journalist. They have all kind of seemed to realize that they have more in common with each other than they do with anyone else on Twitter. And so you do see the thing of like the blue check or the centrist becoming a thing in of itself. Which, yeah, as you say, is like much more um, likely to be like, oh, I'm just going to call for some stochastic violence or I'm going to say something virally bigoted. But yeah, um, it's, it's not that the transphobia wasn't there before. It's in terms of people's uh, willingness to post on Twitter.com about it, where it will be picked up by millions of people and then make national news. Basically, what we're saying is that, is that like all of those Sunday Times columnists now want to join centrist ISIS because they've been posting too much. Yeah, exactly. And, and yeah, with relation to centrist ISIS, there's some, uh, there's some there's there's a topic that we need to broach, and it's it's how online turf shit is becoming, or like has been for years, a radicalization forum in much the same way that like far right and like religious fundamentalist um, websites have been radicalizing people into acts of violence for ages. And like JK Rowling is in some ways an example of how these dynamics play out on a personal level. Yeah. Is we get to watch her story relatively publicly and it was the same thing with Glenna and that's why they hold this status. It's not that we don't believe this doesn't happen to people, but how often do you get to be a fly on the wall while someone's radicalized? Unless you are like a, like a, deeply interested uh, researcher who like actually spends time on yeah. like I mean they're not there anymore but like the Iron March forums for example which were like a until a couple of years ago they were like a huge well not huge they were a very significant far-right online forum where a lot of people got radicalized into like extremely violent behaviors and personal patterns but I think that's the thing is like what the Twitter what the Twitter types have that the uh, posts on these forums don't is that in order to get a similar level of information on the person who is having, who's in, caught up in the spiral, you would essentially have to stalk and dox them. If you were a researcher working backwards through a forum, in order to know as much about that forum poster as we do about Rowling or, Lina, or, or Glenna, you would, you would have to like research their life and work backwards. Whereas we already know these things because these people were already famous. So we have, we have an even greater insight. You know, people were able to figure out with very little effort, not in a stalky way, like coinciding like Linehan stuff with uh, his, his friends and family speaking to him because they're also celebrities. So we see these interactions publicly. Right. And with, with JK Rowling's case, we can kind of chart her, her like change in online behavior in relation to her, her like position as like a cultural celebrity. And it, that being, and like those changes are in the context of a lot of big changes in the British political landscape, particularly in terms of like 
things that have happened to liberal politics over the last like half decade or so and like the half decade is around about our kind of like window of significant change in her behaviors that's kind of when things start to kick off it's like between like 2014 2016 and prior to that it's stuff that we're now like we're like reading back into things from like books that she's published being like aha there's like a latent tendency to think this kind of thought um there's like these subtle forms of like british middle class racism that are coming through in the harry potter books whereas like yeah. over, the, over the last five years things have stopped being subtextual or with with jk rowling's um like output and they started to become like purely textual and purely like a part of her like public presentation and how she as an individual acts online on social media as opposed to like stuff that we would interpret into her portrayals of certain female characters in the harry potter novels for example yeah i mean you, you kind of see this on a this is the broader story politically of like the last five years in the uk and the us is you know people yell about the orange cheeto man and the fact that he flouts the rules and he does things like publicly endorse brands like the those beans for some reason and and you know it, the joke on for online people is that it doesn't matter he's not going to get impeached for these things and this is generally the status quo the difference is i really think in this kind of yeah this this subtext to to text or uh and and and, and like rolling might privately think a lot of have thought these transphobic generally anti-lgbt generally middle class kind of centrist things for years but now she is thinking those things in a way that is uh, public, contains loads of dog whistles, she has a great amount of power and money and influence, and will influence, like you say, these calls for violence. And it's, 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 it seems like very similar with, with people thinking that the, that the government is, is, is very different uh, politically to how it was 10 years ago. It's not on a policy level, but in terms of that window dressing, I think it very much is. Um... So one of the things when I was reading uh, a lot about um, like far right online behaviors and conspiracy theorist behaviors in, in like conspiracy theory groups is like a thing that uh, really kind of like drives this stuff is, is, and this is kind of common sense, like everyone knows this, is like the, the, the sensation or the feeling of disenfranchisement in radicalized individuals that they're, that they're yeah. like being put upon by something. And I feel like for the centrist liberal, the disenfranchisement is very much bound up in that change of window dressing. Because yes. to turn the metaphor into reality, like British middle class stuff is very much concerned with like home ownership, you know, in, in a nice suburb and having like a nicely presented neighborhood. And I feel like their political neighborhood has essentially been desecrated from their point of view by this change in how like rhetoric and political culture is now being expressed and that to them feels like um a disenfranchisement in material reality which yeah. to be fair it, it kind of is because they it means that they have lost um like defining political control over over what the the the, the consensus of state of state policy is yeah and while online leftists like us would be like well you know everyone else has been pretty disenfranchised beforehand the big difference which is i again like another reason why we're, we're recording this now is that like when the middle classes are not having a good time that's when shit starts shaking and like uh, people talk about fascism being the last defense of like bourgeois society yeah exactly it's a classic it's a classic marxist take on on the origin of fascism 
yeah as as people pretty much know although like uh turfism is like very bourgeois like like radical feminism especially the british radical feminists who who were now prominent turfs were never you know they were never bothered with class at all uh and and that's like no wonder no wonder they ended up here yeah, essentially what we're looking at is the political exhaust of like the collapse of like Clinton of like Clintonite um consensus and Blairite consensus over what the position of the various segments of British and, and American class society were. And like over in the US, like they had a different political context with with like how feminism was set up in, in the in the political sphere to us. So like things transpired differently there and, and like transphobia holds a different position. But over here, transphobia had like a lot more like access to um, it had like a lot more access to, to political legitimacy or the potential for political legitimacy, which I think is one of the reasons why it's stronger. Going back anyway. to the, the like the radicalization topic, uh, I think one of the things I wanted to talk about in this was um, J.K. Rowling's posting trajectory. How have, yeah. the, how have the brain worms changed to Joanne? We're tracking um, the brain worms in real time. Oh, my God. Right. We are actually tracking the brainworms in real, in real time, because as you, as you mentioned earlier, oh, the, great, the great thing about the fact that, I mean, obviously, it, it was already clearly great that J.K. Rowling is slowly becoming some kind of like bizarre crypto Nazi. That, that clearly was good to begin with. But the really good thing is that we get to watch and experience it happen. Um, what this allowed us to do is have a look at J.K. Rowling's online history and be like, hmm. How has this woman's interactions with other people and the trans community changed over the last X period of time? And to put to cut a long story short, um, it's got worse. <laughs> line go up. Yes, line does go up. So I was reading this uh, rather interesting paper that is called uh, "Measuring the Evolution of Radical Right Wing Posting Behavior Online." Got this just like off of a online academic pdf website and it's written by a couple of like american academics in a journal called deviant behavior which is an interestingly titled journal and essentially what the what the purpose of the paper is is it it is a quantitative analysis of the posting behaviors of like really radical right-wing extremists on online forums and like what they do in this paper is they essentially use an algorithm to map anti-black, anti-LGBT, and anti-Semitic content on mainly on Stormfront. And they do this over like a very significant period of time. I think it's over about 13 years. So the time scale is very long. They've got it's Stormfront was a very big forum, so they've got a lot of they've got a decent sample size. And what they essentially managed to extract out of this is that the posting trajectory is literally real. There is a graphable trajectory in terms of quantity and quality of posts over time when you look at the behaviors of radical right-wing extremists in, in like radical forum environments. And essentially, there's like various different ways in, this, in, way in which this breaks down according to the specific like type of post they're making and they they break this down according to like anti-semitic posts anti-lgbt ones and specifically anti-black racist posts and what they essentially found with the um anti-lgbt ones and the anti and the anti-black ones was that they 
kind of were fairly similar to each other, but that they differed quite a lot from how anti-Semitic posting um, occurs. The way that it essentially works is that like um, anti-Semitic posting like accelerates quite quickly within the first like couple of years of someone in their like online radical posting career and then it levels off and then it begins accelerating by which I mean like increasing in like the extremity and intensity of the content of the posts um, after it goes through that leveling off period whereas and this kind of like goes alongside another behavior pattern where there's just like a generalized linear increase in like how extreme the posting is. With um, anti-LGBT posting, it's kind of different. Again, the most common tendency is for there to be a sharp linear increase in how extreme the posting is. But the other kind of posting that happens with anti-LGBT messaging on Stormfront is there's like a rapid increase and then it just kind of follows a parabolic arc, like a very flattened parabolic arc and begins to decrease. And the, that is kind of interesting to me because with high profile turfs like um, Glinner and JK Rowling. Follow the former uh, model, not the latter. Well, this is the thing is I'm not sure which model this, this follows, whether it follows a linear model whether it follows a quick burst, level off, and then I have a theory. another burst. Sorry? I have a theory about the posting patterns. Oh, okay, yeah. So Stormfront is a very specific um, uh, ecology of, uh, by far and away, majority uh, anti, anti, uh, anti-Semitism-based uh, posting. Yeah, they proved um, that in the paper, that it's like the, the, the core thing in Stormfront was like, quantitatively it was anti-semitism and although anti-semitism and transphobia are obviously not the same thing in any way um <clears throat> there have been noted crossovers between anti-semitic conspiracy theories and specifically turf not generally anti-lgbt specifically turf uh you know uh, conspiracy theories and yeah. also of course um historically uh similar rhetoric has been used i my theory is basically in the stormfront context people are going to see uh, Jewish people as the kind of like, um, you know, the, again, we refer back to earth fascism, simultaneously weak and, you know, multitudinous and all powerful. Right. The, 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 the framing of the, of the Jewish people is in this, um, again, it's in this conspiratorial role as being like the architects of the Armageddon of white civilization, where yes. you know, there's, that, there's all like, like that classic, like 1930s poster bullshit. Um, this is the, the the kind of poster you put on walls, not the kind of poster we've been talking about so far. Um, where it's like you know th there'll there'll be a, like a big like piece of Nazi propaganda, and it will be like a, a, someone like Leon Trotsky with like incredibly like grotesque cartoonish like features and like with grasping fingers, or there'll be like some kind of like tentacular monster that's like crawling all over the globe or something like that. It's about there being like a secret pervasive controlling apparatus which is fundamentally yeah. Jewish. Yeah, a conspiratorial se secretive apparatus, as opposed to in the Stormfront context, I would hazard a guess that the characterization of LGBT people and black people is simply subhuman. I wonder if the, basically the parabolic, once you've, once you've categorized someone in a disgusting manner, you can let them lie, which I, I'm theorizing is the reason why you have this incredibly slow decrease. People get bored. Whereas Honestly, with this challenging foe, 
which for Stormfront is Jewish people and for TERFs is trans people, is endlessly begui beguiling, beguiling, one of the two. Interesting. So yeah, I think I think that's a, that's a good point um, because one of the quotations that I remember coming up in one of these in one of these papers I was reading was like one of these guys who they were you know reading through the content of in order to like conduct a, text, a textual analysis you know said said something like and we've all seen posts like this it was something like um like I don't hate black people because because I think they're controlling the world I think I hate black people because they're like beneath me and have also contributed to the destruction of my life and there's this like long-running narrative in the white supremacist stuff that um black people are being used as the, as the pawns of like a jewish political conspiracy and i kind of think that that um trans people are not viewed as pawns by turfs no of course because they're turfs yeah, trans people are viewed as the actual agents of of this like negative behavior of of this like negative phenomenon which they perceive. You know the 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 you know the, the theft of the holy child and like the corruption of femininity and all of that kind of stuff. That like trans people are actively the agents of that in the way that like um, Jewish people were perceived as being like the agents of the corruption of the white race in in like classical Italian fascist or like German fascist or like white supremacist narratives about Judaism. Well, when you look at it, I think it is because TERFs, fascism is generally uh, run, run by men, or at the very least, it's not solely the concern of women. Um, when you look at the people putting out propaganda, I'm not saying that women can't be fascists. Whereas the, the, the defining characteristics of the TERFs, regardless of how many of them are women or pretending to be women or speaking over women, is that it is a, it is a female concern. And so the kind of... Be, uh, being dis having their womanhood disenfranchised and, 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 and womanhood needing to be protected is a kind of specific format of a general fascist obsession with uh, the, the Vogue, but with a specific like girl boss energy to it. So it's going to be it's going to be concerned with society being destroyed by trans people because they're seen as a, a specific threat to this kind of like bourgeois womanhood. Yeah. Um, I'm going to return to the J.K. Rowling posting trajectory in a minute, yes. um, but one thing I wanted to note in relation to that is I think that highlights a difference between transphobes like en general and TERFs specifically, because I, like TERFs and transphobes, there's clearly, you know, obviously there's overlap, like TERFs are a subcategory uh, sub, sub of transphobe, but not all transphobia is, is TERFish, and I feel like the thing that's important to highlight is that TERFism is unique within transphobia because other forms of transphobia that stem from like genuine conscious religious fundamentalism or just come from like classical fascist positions don't have this <laughs> complex theory of the evil trans person yeah they might they might borrow those rhetorics from turf rhetoric but like this this like complex theory of the of the trans person as this like bizarrely super powerful agent of history that's doing all of these things is a unique product of the of like the turf political culture yeah and i i think that's actually a lot of why there is such a large crossover with anti-semitism because anti-semitism has been in societies for a very long time and so if you've got a group that is looking for this kind of schema of this shadow control kind of like conspiracy 
anti-Semitism is there to re readily to adopt. And I, I, I think that's, that's one of the reasons why, yeah, there is this overlap because Turks are primarily concerned with trans people. Right. Um, but it's it's notable that like this this uh like blossoming of turfdom occurred in an environment where like it happened for like Western uh middle class liberals. But with with Western middle class liberals for the most part, anti Semitism is still pretty much unacceptable. Or at least it's it's like a it's it's the on the surface level it's unacceptable. Like obviously on the on the like the it's subsurface on, like on, on the on the subsurface level it's still completely okay in yeah. for, for like quite a lot of them but just like not in a way in which they can like vocalize or realize so it doesn't it's, it often... it's the level where five years ago Rowling might have been with the things that she's saying now she clearly believed them five years ago but she wouldn't have said them in the way she said them now I'm not actually convinced that she would have consciously believed them. I think that uh, like part of the radicalization trajectory is that it changes the ways in which you personally vocalize um, your bigotries, and that I think has like a dialectical relationship, like a like a positive feedback relationship with how extreme one's personal prejudices or one's personal political opinions become. But I was, I think I would also characterize a lot of middle class anti-Semitism as being different in that way as well. That's true. That's, that's true. Okay. So yeah, uh, what I was going to say is I was going to return to the, the, the radicalization trajectory of JK Rowling and like, but like the theory with Glinner was that like, basically he got slighted in an argument Another example of, of, of why posting is bad is that is that like a, an interaction on an online in an online discussion made someone like go itchy trigger finger because they thought that they were being aggressively criticized for for like for like politically dodgy behavior and it made him entrench into his position which like anyone who's ever like gone viral for a bad take or like got into a ridiculously complicated argument on like Discord or Facebook or whatever, will will know is an emotionally familiar phenomenon because you you know you'll say like X thing like oh I think that this celebrity is is bad and that actually they should go to jail for this thing and then everyone else will be like ah you're being horribly problematic you're fucking cancelled and you'll 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 get that kind of like conversational spiral and because everyone's and because you perceive everyone as saying, "Ah, oh, it's time for your cancellation, pal," you'll entrench into your position rather than being wanting, rather than wanting to discuss it further. And I think the the general theory was that like Glinner did like a positional entrenchment entrenchment on what was I think a relatively mild thing, and that over the course of many many years of him being deeply online and a, and a Twitter addict, this essentially turned him into being like one of the most toxic posters on the entire site. I think, yeah, no, I think when people talk about cancel culture, they are actually often, when they're trying to earnestly talk about it, I'm not talking about, again, you know, blue tips saying that J.K. Rowling is cancelled. Yeah, we're not, trying to, we're not trying to be like spiked columnists. Yeah, you know, we're not, we're not that. But um, when people talk about cancel culture, I think that's what they're talking about in, in, in terms of this conversational spiral. Alice um, Avizandan of um, Trash Future actually had a little reflection on this in regards to Wiley's, you know, um, sudden, for some, some people, sudden and out of the blue um, spiral into horrendous 
anti-Semitism, which is, I think, currently ongoing also. For years, people have been like, Wiley's been involved with teenage girls, Wiley's done this, Wiley's done that. And then similarly, it's all come crashing down. And she says, like, um, we're not just really equipped mentally to have hundreds of people we don't know individually calling us a dumb piece of shit. Lends itself to paranoid and conspiratorial mindset where you keep doubling and tripling down because everyone must be in on it against you. Right, and to be fair, Alice would know because she yeah. constantly, like, constantly gets into fights on Twitter. Yeah, if anyone is going to know how this works in from every side, it's it's going to be her. Yeah, because she has both precipitated this against like random people, and is also just like sometimes, not sometimes, like frequently, has got into like ridiculous brawls over over childish shit, and then like a couple of weeks later, she'll she'll be like, ah, yes, that happened again. Um, and like, whom's among us has that not happened to? Yeah, and, and also another reason that I think Alice is a good example is because she is an example of someone who's come back from one of those spirals and been like, oh, actually, this was like unfair, which like is quite unique in the sense that the people who are high level posters don't tend to step back. And the people who step back are not high level posters. Uh, you, this, you is, this is why you should never trust anyone who has more than 3000 followers. We're just saying that because both of us are sub 1k. Oh, only barely, baby. I'm only 150 more idiots to go. And... Aside from that, yeah, you have, you have this kind of thing where regardless of what people were like before, some threshold is reached where they suddenly get, as I'm going to call it here, forgiven value of cancelled. And then that seems to trigger the high speed spiral. Yeah, there is a, there is a speed and intensity to certain kinds of radicalization spiral and and like posting behaviors and i i feel like and a lot of other people feel like jk rowling has intensified in that regard over like the last couple of years really rather rapidly there's been like a few incidents over last over like the last year and a half or so which i think are particularly like um are particularly emblematic of that like there was a really infamous incident where she like retweeted some fan art from someone. That's the one about the Ichabog, which is her newest book. Yeah, so she the Ichabog, which is like um, I have no idea what it's about. Uh, yeah, it's aimed at like I think like toddlers to to like maybe eight year olds that kind of that kind of age range I think. And she retweeted like some fan art that was posted on behalf of some child by like a parent who had a Twitter account, and copied and pasted into the tweet like a whole bunch of like very odd stuff that was like completely unrelated to anything to do with it and was clearly from it was clearly like some bizarre turf forum thing that she'd that she'd like copied onto her onto her like notepad on her phone and then just like stuck in the tweet for some reason a bizarre turf forum like mum's net. I, I, I have a personal theory, which is like one of these days, some amazing internet detective is going to find out which account on mum's net is JK Rowling's and all fucking hell is going to break loose. Oh, uh, that's probably coming within a matter of weeks, I assume. Unless, unless she hasn't been posting on mum's net. You know, there's, there's the gender critical Reddit. There's, there's lots of places. Like, I'm not saying that JK Rowling definitely went on mum's net. She just definitely went on something exactly like mum's net. I wouldn't. I wouldn't go. Let like, let me put it this way. I wouldn't go as far as to say that she definitely makes posts. Like she's got to be a lurker on at least one forum for sure. Although if you're copy pasting someone's post, why else would you be copy pasting it? You either copy paste something to respond to it, to share it, or to note it down. 
So either she was compiling a turf dossier or she was sending it to a WhatsApp group or she was posting. Um, but it's similar. I guess the, the reason that I brought up the Welly thing is that it's similar in the sense that it's this slow, and, and with Glinner actually, she copy pasted that and then suddenly everyone had eyes on her. And from that seems to have, that seems to have been her trigger because everyone sat up and took notice and started doing the hundreds of strangers calling you a dumb piece of shit routine. Yeah, and like prior to that, there had been, you know, some, there had, sorry, prior to that, there had been some incidents, um, but they were not as like extreme in terms of. And they were like every six months or every few months. Yeah, whereas now, you know, it's it's like the bloody thing in Pacific Rim, right? There's like there's like horrible turf posts emerging from a fault underneath the ocean, so, <laughs> so rapidly that soon soon there'll be one emerging every minute. <laughs> and I don't even want to check to see if she's tweeted since we started recording. Recording. Oh God, she can't have surely. Her latest tweet is from. It doesn't say how many hours ago on desktop, but it is from today. The latest one I, I, that I'm seeing in relation to like actual turf stuff is the one from yesterday. Okay, so you know we've gone from months to multiple a day alone. Right. So she did that. She did that thread uh, yesterday, which um, was a whole mess in its own right. Um, that was about like NHS gender clinic stuff and like yet again uh, repeating the, the, the this like conspiratorial myth about like uh, all of this stuff about like psychiatric practice and like whether or not the children are being corrupted by the medical establishment and whether or is not they're like is that it doesn't just speak about Timmy it talks about random trans people which is a which is a point that a lot of turfs don't don't dare to tread in in the stable of of turf um, anti GIC rhetoric. They tend to lean on two things: one, young, young, young children, little Timmy, and two, autistic or neurodivergent. Again, often characterised as young, even if they're not actually. So, uh, a good edge example is people talking about my young, twenty-one-year-old, uh, uh, autistic son uh, is trans. What do I do? Right, it's like the continuing infantilization of the child, like we discussed exactly. in the last episode. Yeah, along both literal and um, just denial lines of, of their children's age, and also kind of uh, and you know ableist and eugenicist lines in terms of them being neurodivergent. As as we spoke about in the previous episode, the the appeal to the child is much um, more mainstream and smarter. It's just as harmful, but it's 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 a good way to get in a foot in the door. Outright head on attacking the concept of GICs existing is a lot more left field because the way in that people legitimize the, the, the neurodivergent tinny arguments is that they say that they have no problem with adult trans people transitioning. Whereas, right, which is, because that's actually kind of a difficult political argument to make. And again, this is another thing which is, which is actually backed up by statistical evidence. Most adults in the UK do not give a shit if trans people receive medical treatment. No. They really don't care. And I, I think, I think the, the, the neurodivergent Timmy line is to appeal to that, essentially. It's to say, like, we're not weird, obsessive turfs. We just have legitimate concerns about the rights of our white child. I mean, Timmy, we're like you, really. We're not that radical. We really don't give a shit about normal adult trans people. This is a separate concern. 
Right, and it, it, again, this was something we kind of hinted at in the previous episode, but it is it is functionally the, the turf equivalent of um, the grooming gang's rhetoric that you get from Tommy Robinson. There is a reason why Tommy Robinson and the, the, the dregs of the English Defence League mobilised um, rhetoric around grooming gangs and, like, white girls being raped, is that, like, it was a convenient method for them to use to further their ideas and it got at a universal kind of constant of opinion which is that like the kids should be protected again we're kind of we're kind of stamping on the coattails of of episode of the previous episode but like i I, like this stuff just keeps coming up this stuff about the children this this like conspiracy theory mindset um about like the, the the kids there's something happening to the kids yeah, and that's where you see the crossover when people say, like, um, you know, tra- the, the, when people say the point of this podcast, which is like, you know, transphobic turfs are uh, 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 fascism running through uh, the the prosecco bars. Um, this is where the actual literal crossover happens. Like uh, Anne Marie Waters was wearing an adult human female T-shirt when she was defending statues, and Tommy Robinson has talked about trans children in the exact same way that he has spoken about grooming gangs. So although they are very, very similar, their actual IRL real-time collaboration is happening around the children. Um, but yeah, Rowling has actually gone past that. That's the safe, that's the safe territory for TERFs. Rowling in her recent attack on gender clinics is just outright declaring war on trans people having medical care, which is a, is a very specific step to take in terms it's of... Also, it's also kind of interesting to me because, as we discussed earlier, when it comes to things like propriety and like not um, making too much of a dick of yourself, up until quite recently, Rowling was quite like undercover with this stuff. Like she was relatively, it was not relatively well known that, that J.K. Rowling was, was like, a, was like a, an increasingly hardcore turf. But like this has come on the tails of, of her like turfitude becoming extremely well known. And like, I wonder like, how much that is to do with her basically just deciding that it wasn't worth it to go kind of softly, softly anymore because nobody was buying the bullshit. Yeah, I do wonder how much of it is her doubling down because she has that money and power. Like, essentially, in terms of, yeah, this proprietary, if you've got something to lose, you need to be more conservative. If you have less to lose, you don't have to be as conservative. You look at this in, in terms of politics. Like, people who have slow margins have to be placatory. People with a large mandate... Uh, gets to do whatever the fuck they want and, and Rowling has a mandate in terms of her power and as long as she doesn't do anything that's like bannable and it's almost impossible to get banned off Twitter especially for transphobe stuff she's essentially going to be there uh, like indefinitely um, she, she, she really does have I, I really don't think that mandate is too much of a far out there word to kind of describe what she has because especially because Twitter is run by um, a, a very right-wing person uh, obsessed with money, uh, centrist with lots of money. It, it, that's, this is their website, and you have been approved upon by King Jack for having centrist opinions and billions of pounds. Right, and I think I think also on on a on a on a kind of conceptual level, I think it speaks quite a lot to the 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 link between like um, bourgeois liberalism as being like the the ideology of the capitalist world. And the fact that, like, the mandate of capital permits one to be reactionary. 
turning turning back to our boy uh, Umberto Eco, he in in the Urfascism essay he says, Urfascism derives from individual or social frustration. That is why one of the most typical features of the historical fascism was the appeal to a frustrated middle class, a class suffering from an economic crisis or or feelings of political humiliation and frightened by the pressure of lower social groups. In our time, when the old proletarians are becoming petty bourgeois and the lumpen are largely excluded from the political scene, the fascism of tomorrow will find its audience in this new majority. Um, I really feel like J.K. Rowling and the J.K. Rowlingism as a as a sub as a subsection of of turfism, like the specifically like British middle class, um, very like proper uh, suburban aspect of turfism, which is one of its principal aspects, is like is blatantly a very clear expression of this. That's like the ABCs of this whole topic is that it, it's very much tied into. British middle class feelings of political humiliation, and there's you know a lot of people have may have like drawn connections between like the rise of fascism and um, like uh, you know dark money coming in over like from from like right wing billionaires trying to pump in money to like political pressure groups and all of that kind of stuff, but the actual the actual base of it is in is in the middle class which is feeling this kind of like cultural disenfranchisement because they've got various different like forms of pressure that are squeezing them and like one of them is like all of this like overflow from like the the liberal period of austerity under david cameron when he was doing like token liberal reforms particularly on lgbt issues which was like his big kind of like flagship pink washing project while also completely screwing them over on a class level. And like it's very clear that like transphobia has like fucking skyrocketed in the wake of um a lot of like civil like general civil rights uh legislative victories for the like the mainstream of the LGBT movement. And JK Rowling JK Rowling started off as as being considered like a, a liberal progressive and I feel like the fact that um there's been this like reactionary change in the political makeup of of mainstream politics in the UK has made her and other members of the British middle class liberal scene feel like they're culturally disenfranchised and that at some point also the wanes have turned against them and all the kids kind of like are doing like weird gender stuff and love Corbyn and there's this like there's this like simultaneous treachery and yeah, one, you, of, one of the outputs of this is 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 transphobia as a reaction against this like unconsciously or like semi-consciously perceived treachery by both the kids and the establishment and therefore there's some kind of thing going on between the establishment and the kids that is making one of them do bad things to us and the other one is no longer under our control so there must be something weird happening to them well this is specific that you're you're absolutely right and i think this is because like you mentioned pinkwashing and it's like obviously you see this currently with the current events around blm in that like um kind of uh championing and trying to co-opt causes where all of these companies are doing these statements obviously does not stop horrific anti-black violence in america and and here as well but i'm, I'm talking about the american kind of companies and american protests um but 
it clearly has enough cultural currency now to be used as a way to whitewash all of these like, nasty tendencies of capitalism. Similarly, pinkwashing, the fact that pride, as, as people famously say, is, is now a corporate parade. Well, it isn't anymore because of the pandemic. So the, the real pride is arguably all of the protests at the moment. But, you know, when people complain about pride being co-opted by brands, that doesn't mean that the, the, the LGBT people have full liberation. But it does mean that they have enough cultural capital to be used as a pinkwashing format. Whereas before, that was the preserve of middle-class white feminists in this suburban setting. It was the, it was the Leslie Nopes from Parks and Rec uh, who obsessed over Biden and lean-in feminism. And they've had that taken away from them because now feminism has to be intersexual. It has uh, intersexual, inter, uh, intersectional. Um, it has to care about class and about trans people. And that leaves people exactly like Rowling in the dust. Cause you know, when she made it big as an author, it, her whole thing was like, oh, I had to make up a male name because no one would have pu published Joanne Rowling. And she was the richest woman in Britain. And she did all this philanthropy. And she was, yeah, she was the Charles Sanderberg of, of Britain. She, she leaned in and she had this whole, uh, um, you know, uh, working class background woman made it good. And, and she's had that taken away from her by trans people. Again, you know, it's part of this feeling of disenfranchisement and like a like a disappointment because there's a feeling of like, ironically, there's a feeling of lost privilege. Uh, and when people are snarking on the internet about lost privilege, this is what they're talking about. I think a lot of the time, just just using kind of like very very online frameworks. So one thing that connects like the, the, the thread of like cultural disenfranchisement on a, on a kind of like a class level and how that's affected the, the, the development of, of turf ideology amongst certain sections of like the, the British middle class and also, you know, uh, general, general like concepts of, of disenfranchisement with the with the nature of reactionary rhetoric and, and fascist rhetoric around around those ideas is that fascism has an overlap with the way that conspiracy theories work like the way that fascism works as a mindset is very similar to conspirator uh, conspiracy theory belief it's not the same thing but it is similar but also this kind of place where a lot of this turf stuff comes from about about uh like disenfranchisement and um being kind of like cut off from previous sources of privilege also connects with some of the things that um, perhaps don't cause conspiracy theory belief, but correlate to it and often appear at the same time as an increase in belief in conspiracy theories presented in individuals or in groups in society. I was reading another fun and exciting paper called Understanding Conspiracy Theories, and it was in the like the 2019 volume of advances in political psychology which is another deeply fun sounding journal and this paper basically runs through some of the basic aspects of conspiracy theories as a social phenomenon like what causes them what are their effects what are their effects on individuals on like groups in society what do they like do to people what do people like what kind of situations are people in that encourage them to form conspiracy theory beliefs and essentially, this paper is partially a review of existing literature. One of the consensuses that has been drawn out from existing literature is that there are important 
kind of psychological motivating factors that uh, help generate conspiracy theory belief or that help encourage people to be drawn to conspiracy theories. And they, they kind of break this down as being divided between epistemic motives, existential motives, and social motives. And the epistemic motive is like a desire for understanding or, or like um, certainty, like a personal certainty, uh, in, particularly in relation to like complex phenomenon or like, um, in fact, I'll just quote from the paper. Um, People who overestimate their ability to understand complex causal phenomenon are also prone to conspiracy beliefs. Conspiracy beliefs have also been linked to the need for cognitive closure, uh, especially when events lack a clear official explanation. Conspiracy beliefs have also been linked to feelings of boredom. However, conspiracy theories might appear to satisfy some epistemic motives at the expense of others. For example, conspiracy theory belief has been linked to the conjunction fallacy, which is an error of probabilistic reasoning whereby people overestimate the likelihood of co-occurring events. Other, other uh, researchers have shown that the projection of one's own personal beliefs onto others is associated with conspiracy theory belief. That is, the belief that, quote, they conspire, unquote, is in part the result of the belief that, quote, I would conspire, unquote. I think that so that refers to this this way in which conspiracy theories are important for people's ability to build the political world in their mind. Like it, it's this this is about epistemology. This is about sorry epistemology. This is about kind of like the construction of knowledge that people do when they're thinking about politics and they're thinking about like their personal philosophy and society and so on. Well, it's, it's politics, it's thinking about politics and philosophy is, is um, to go back to the whole magical thinking thing, knowledge of systems, uh, so like system intelligence, which lends itself to the hyperactivity or kind of like obsession with finding patterns and stories, because to understand p- patterns and philosophy, uh, sorry, politics and philosophy, you have this thing of take drawing from different schema and, and building your own patterns in order to understand the political world. And so like, if you overestimate your ability to do that, or if you do that too much, it makes sense that you would you would have these kind of um, uh, ways of thinking. Yeah, so that, there is that. Um, one thing I thought I thought that was like really interesting in that uh, in that little quotation that I just read out was like feelings of boredom. I can't remember like uh, like we've discussed this before, but I can't really remember how you would describe like your own like personal like class experience over life but like i'm basically a child of the lower middle classes and although this wasn't actually the experience in my household my sense of the british middle class in general is that they are fundamentally existentially quite bored oh yeah but the middle classes in general i think are like politically philosophically sociologically they're fucking bored and boring so I think that is that is certainly something that contributes to providing a fertile psychological environment. Arguably, there might be a bit of a whiplash effect when suddenly a slight smidgen of oppression occurred on the horizon, combined with that uh, disenfranchisement of power in relation to like how their children were were viewing the world. That might be that might be an interesting overlap, if you see what I mean. Yeah, a, a combination of being bored and so with a lack of stimulus in terms of like going back to, you know, pattern finding, you, 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 you don't have things generally. And then suddenly 
everything is too much and at once and you get and you get all of these challenges to your worldview which until now has been pretty bereft and coasting and it's kind of like an overload so of course you're more likely to over egg it in terms of uh understanding um patterns patterns of uh, the why society is why it is right right so like the western the western white middle class got 10 years of experiencing Francis Fukuyama's end of history nonsense. And then it all came crashing down. And yeah. this is this is the cultural aftershock of that economic earthquake. Yeah. Um, and I think again, like that is another reason why I would link kind of like lean in feminism qualities, like um like I mentioned in terms of uh the middle classes of British turfism being linked to some vague political power before and kind of the, the a cultural moment for, for, for women uh, in the sense that a lot of these people now that is all behind them. They are more concerned with being middle class and bored than they are with um, the, 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 the smidgen of, of female oppression because they have transcended that now. Obviously that, that doesn't apply to women in general, but I, I think, Rowling, for example, she's richer than the Queen, uh, and and so like she doesn't have very much to concern herself with personally anymore. It's back to that boredom. Yes, and I think that the fact that uh, as a like social media websites, particularly Twitter, they're built like shit video games. Like it's a reward cycle of button clicking, so it sucks you in. It gives you like a boredom alleviation mechanism. And that definitely contributes to this this uh, situation, which J.K. Rowling and other people who found themselves in that position find themselves in. Another thing this this paper brings up is um, what they're calling the the existential requirement, uh, and they describe this as being like the desire for control and security. And the paper says um, people may also turn to conspiracy theories when their existential needs are threatened, as a way to compensate for those threatened needs. For example. People who lack agency and control may reclaim some sense of control by believing conspiracy theories because they offer the opportunity to reject official narratives and allow people to feel that they possess a better account. Consistent with this reasoning, studies have demonstrated that conspiracy beliefs are, are associated with feelings of powerlessness, anxiety, anxious attachment, and existential anxiety. Further, Bruder et alia in 2013 demonstrated a relationship between conspiracy thinking and low feelings of control in the socio-political domain. Conversely, experimentally strengthening people's sense of control appears to reduce conspiracy theory beliefs. I feel like that kind of says a lot. It really links into um, uh, the ContraPoints video on cringe, which obviously has a huge, huge uh, buy-in uh, for reactionaries. Um, because cringe becomes about dehumanizing people who are different from you when where these things do come from again like anxious attachment and a loss of control and a lot of the time the people who are cringing at others are it's because they don't want to be exposed as you know cringe themselves it, like it does seem like you know not every turf is jk rowling not every turf is secure in their class position and has influence like a lot of them probably do have a lot of anxiety over um you know women's rights not what they think of as women's rights but you know actual ones yeah uh, in fact i am absolutely certain they do yeah i think that's i think that's like one of the other big truths about like turfism is why it's one of the reasons why it has so much purchase is not just this like the feminism angle 
is is like the, the the big kind of like nasty bit about it because it has loads and loads of political legitimacy. Well, when you look at Cameron with the pinkwashing, as you as you mentioned earlier, that pinkwashing was accompanied by the worst and most biting cuts, specifically aimed at women. If you looked at the austerity measures, far and away they hurt women the most. And so I think, yeah, I think some of this anger does come, uh, and this is the same with a lot of reactionary anger, especially um, kind of anger that is co-opted by fascism. It comes from a very legitimate anxiety, which is like, you know, we're being fucked over and this, this happy clappy LGBT feminism stuff is not, um, you know, it's not being done uh, truly, but then it gets perverted obviously into, into conspiracy theories about how trans people run the world. The original anxiety is, is, is completely true and fair. Yeah, it definitely is, which is, um, again, it's one of those like fun little overlaps with fascism is that uh, one of, the, one of the, the big driving factors in quite a lot of fascist movements is, is uh, the infamous phrase, economic anxiety. There's actually a quote from one of the books that you have been researching, which kind of hints at this, um, which I saved because it is really relevant to TERFs, at this kind of switcheroo that fascism does in order to co-opt these at like these economic anxieties which is um from male fantasies says one of the primary traits of fascism is assigning greater importance to the battle of sexes than to the class struggle even in their conscious thinking they view the class struggle as an irrelevant issue one that can easily be taken care of by the establishment of the folk community uh voke geimenschaft um and it very much does seem to be like yeah focus on the fact that trans people exist rather than the fact that you're worse off don't worry we'll sort it all it's all it's all fine these guys are the enemies don't worry about it you know there's there's two more topics that i kind of want to cover and uh one of them is jk rowling's lawsuit and the other one is something i've only just remembered which is um this is how we're going to avoid the lawsuits that that we're that we're begging for by comparing jk rowling to literal isis in this episode which is like, I wonder like how your and my experiences of becoming radicalized towards very, very militant leftism might chime or like we might see like similarities in like the radicalization pattern with the way that like Rowling behaves and the way that like uh, these descriptions of like conspiracy theorism developing and like far right radicalization patterns like do you how much do you think that there's like an overlap between like the kinds of the kinds of radicalization that you and I went through to become literally communists and how much like and, and like overlap between that and uh, JK Rowling becoming an absurdly biased and bigoted person who just like fucks over LGBT people particularly trans people with every second tweet I think there are lots of overlaps and also, especially with some uh, elements of the left that enter this kind of, you know, people talk about echo chambers, but this kind of thing you see in lots of subcultures in which I would include TERFs and I would also include a lot of left strands as one, where you get this radicalization spiral of in-group. Everyone has to be in the in-group and the in-group is very homogenous. Um, you see, you see that happen in pretty much the same way. You see, like, uh, you know, it might be experience. You might be being radicalized by growing up poor, or growing up racialized, or growing up visibly LGBT. But in terms of kind of online or organized stuff, 
it starts when you come into contact with these groups and then you read more and more and you're in conversation more and more with different leftists of different stripes. And some people don't necessarily go down the tunnel and become uber radicalized to the point where they argue with people about China or Korea. Uh, but people, to some extent, everyone is kind of um, bringing their own kind of leftist pattern, pattern matching to the table and you kind of get it through osmosis, I think. I don't know what you would say. Yeah, it's like, obviously, I'm wary of doing essentially like uh, the intellectual version of horseshoe theory. But it's clear that there are shared patterns of radicalization across every single political belief, because the common feature across political beliefs is that humans hold them. And uh, humans have particular ways of behaving, <laughs> funnily enough. Humans love in-group pattern matching uh bad memories bad memories and um also also like a bad estimation of other groups of human beings oh yes we're very bad at that like we're very bad at predicting um certain kinds of like group behaviors which is i think one of the in fact yeah going back to one of these quotes there is um what does it say uh this is this is the bit about uh conspiracy theories and um people who overestimate their ability to understand complex causal phenomena. Uh, yeah, one of the bits at the end of the quotation was, other researchers have shown that projection of one's own personal beliefs onto others is associated with conspiracy, with conspiracy theory belief. That is, the belief, quote, they conspire, is in part the result of the belief that, quote, I, cons I would conspire. So it's this projection thing. A lot of our estimation of what other groups would do in certain circumstances or are attempting to do is actually a result of projection. And, this, yeah, and they, this, will, this will almost certainly apply to like the, 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 the committed leftist or like the trans rights activist estimation of how TERFs or fascists behave. Because yeah. a lot of that is going to be down to projection. There is going to be stuff in this podcast that is down to projection, inevitably, even if it's quite minor subtextual things. The only difference is that with the internet, you get to run up against the evidence that projections are wrong the more you run into a wide range of people. So I guess that's when people talk about echo chambers, they, they mean that it's like not adequately bug fixing for those projections. E, it's time for us to get sued. Let's talk about how we're gonna get sued. I'm ready. Now that we've, now that we've called JK Rowling a member of gender ISIS, she's obviously gonna sue us. Much like she, how she sued, um, what was it that like educational newsletter like it was like a what was the website even for oh i read the newsletter itself but i can't remember the name the it's newsletter just... was harmless like in incredibly harmless oh yeah so she's done two lawsuits one of which was um about tweets and then the other one was about this incredibly harmless um educational newsletter which basically posed the question like is jk rowling a transphobe and if she is a transphobe should we stop supporting her as basically you know a gcse question they were i that you know they, they both sides it and they specifically said oh some people think this and some people think the opposite thing what do you think students it gave no viewpoint whatsoever that was the point of it it was to inspire dialogue for children yeah it reminded me very much and like this is sort of a distant memory for me now because it's been about 10 years since i was in high school but it reminded me very much of like fucking test questions where it's like hmm yes read this passage from the catcher in the rye and explain to me whether or not you think the main character is doing blah 
and it's like yeah, they are asking a very basic question that it requires like a 15 year old possibly unlucky enough to be little timmy <laughs> to 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 write 500 words on whether or not there is like authorial intent in expressing this particular thing and if well, if there is if that intent is bad and this is a basic introduction to critical analysis or texts and jk rowling's response to this was to take them to court she's used to having her books used in classrooms but only to her only to promote her you know she's imposing her her will upon all mentions of her and her work yeah you you would you would have thought that the author was dead but actually the undead hand is grasping out of the grave to strangle you and it's a very much a, in that way it's very much a direct attack on free speech in the sense that it's someone who has essentially written a textbook for a classroom because harry potter has been used in education to the point where you could consider it a textbook in its own right yeah, and, and, and to the point where there is a reason why Harry Potter, unlike other very high-selling young adult and children's books, has been translated into so many languages. Like, it's a really great educational text, even if you're doing that fucking Marxist analysis on it. But yeah, it's like, it's like the author of a, of a well-loved children's textbook was like, you're reading it wrong. I'm going to impose my will retroactively on this children's textbook that you have allowed into the classroom. Oh, God, this reminds me of, like, a hot take, which I, I is kind of like... Maybe not hot, but like semi-cooked that I have yeah. about, about um, J.K. Yeah. Rowling's retroactive edits. So I have no evidence for this whatsoever. <laughs> but I have a theory that one of these days I might, I might consider testing by, by checking it against like the exact chronology of events, uh, if I can be bothered. Which is that, do you remember, do you remember when J.K. Rowling retroactively declared, declared Dumbledore to be gay? Yes. And everyone was like, fuck off, Joanne, that's stupid. My theory is that the thing is, is that a lot of the fandom thought it was silly. Yes. Because the fandom is actually the online bit. Like, that's the online community. Like, people who are on, like, fanfiction.net or whatever. Or, on live, or on live journal, and who then migrated over to Tumblr and Twitter and saw this decision and were like, hmm, we have been writing absolutely incredible content for the last decade and a half about your books, madam. And this, frankly, is bullshit. Um, and my theory is that she saw this and what she thought was her like continuing with her like middle class progressive shtick got rejected by the kids. Ungrateful kids. The ungrateful kids who were like changing in front of her eyes like political chameleons. And this 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 uh this like fed into an already developing reactionary mindset regarding the kids much like uh, Principal Skinner from The Simpsons. And uh, yeah, it all went fucking downhill. And she, because of, because of like, the, the Dumbledore tweet, she was like, hmm, well, I can't take any criticism about like, my opinions on LGBT, on LGBT stuff now. This is bullshit. The kids are literally wrong. And that I, was, that was an inflection, yeah. like the reaction against that thing was an inflection point in her own like mental reasoning. That would really not surprise me, um, especially in terms of the earlier we were talking about the kind of trigger moment for people like Glitter, where the the, the trigger moment seems to be not even uh, horrendous criticism, mild criticism 
but but more actually kind of like yeah this sort of thing of the record scratch moment where you've been continuing along life um being this liberal bastion of progress you are right everything is right you are correct and then suddenly someone goes you say something that you think is good or at least like normal or neutral and someone goes no actually that's negative and it's a it's a shock to your whole worldview yeah yeah that's that's also like that's basically the reason why i thought of this it was is because of that similarity it's weird and i don't have any evidence for this whatsoever but it, be, sm- it, it but... smells weird you know yeah yeah, because she also continued in that vein with lesser and lesser returns to the point where it became a joke. So, yes. you know, yes, and that... that coincided with her radicalization spiral slowly beginning to cook to a boil. Yeah, because, you know, it started off with the online people saying, oh, we don't really care so much about the gay thing as you think we do. To when she was saying, you know, there were comedians making fun of the fact that she said that. I don't know what was it that Potter, one of the Pottermore facts was like. Uh, oh God, was this the thing where the wizards shit themselves and they magic and, um, the shit away? Yeah, and then the Hufflepuffs used to have orgies or something. And 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 and, and, and yeah. No, just, it wasn't. It wasn't orgies. It was literally circle wank. There we go. So yeah, Hufflepuff circle jerk, wizards shit themselves, um, and it's just like. <laughs> yeah, it like. I'm Dumbledore, sorry. Dumbledore, I'd, I'd forgotten how stupid this stuff was. But it really does seem to be searching for this diminishing returns of approval because saying that Dumbledore is gay retroactively is like, it may have been moronic of her to make it retroactive, but the fact itself was fine and normal. The wizards shitting themselves is just... (laughs) Why? She she started having a neutral... Like, the, 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 the Dumbledore gay thing she thought would be positive and would better her books retroactively, and it didn't. And then... She continued to throw out facts until her retroactive Pottermore facts began to negatively affect her book. And oh then it was God. it's like it's like you know that whole like history repeating itself as fast thing. It's like when Augustus like retroactively declared Julius Caesar a god, except this is for like her terrible teen novels. <laughs> yeah, especially wait, I, I don't wanna I don't wanna get too nerdy with it, but like Augustus very much did that whole reformer thing to get people on board with the fact that he decided to do imperialism instead of republicanism. And he did like a bunch of things. And then the public, you know, the bread and circus is shit. The legislative said they'll change Also, it. Also nuclear family crap. Yeah, and all that. And, and people, people were like, mm, this bread is not enough for me to accept all of the other shit that you're doing. And then he just went, okay, fuck it, mask off. I will be dictator now. Not not the Roman term dictator, like you know the modern the modern way that we say dictator. Um, he was obviously dictator before then, in the in the literal sense. I'm going to stop talking about classics now. But yeah, it, it is like when people say like I've tried being nice to you people. You know when 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 the, when the right talk about like oh if the left want to attract people, uh, they should be nice to them. And and blue tech blue ticks whining about people being mean to them, and that's why they're Nazis now. Like um, it really does seem. Like she got disenfranchised from her own intellectual property and uses, I guess, literal legal protections to her intellectual property and image as a way to reclaim that humiliation she felt from the teenagers making fun of gay Dumbledore and us laughing at wizards shitting themselves. 
it's a real vindication of the radical potential of like the the whole death of the author concept to be honest yeah it adds like serious intellectual credence to it given how stupid actual actual physical authors always are <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna end up having to having to dedicate a whole episode to this but the, the lawsuit is is the latest in a long line of turf and transphobe adjacent legislative and legalistic maneuvers that would probably be a good time to mention the ken livingston uh linkages as well i reckon i reckon that comrade ken needs to wait for another episode what do you think <laughs> yeah funny that, that that involves another famous political anti-semite wait oh you mean oh ken yeah um, yeah, I mean, as far as I know, J.K. Rowling isn't anti-Semitic. Uh, well, actually, this is interesting because at the level... Wait, wait, actually, no, she is. She is. She is fucking anti-Semitic. What am I talking about? She's the fucking <laughs> Anthony Goldstein thing and the goblins and Gringotts. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was, I was like, eh, hang on a second. You've forgotten the most important point. I, I had actually completely forgotten about that. There's so much to remember. She's a gold mine of brainworms. So, what conclusions are we drawing from this complete, like, toxic waste dump of liberal ideology? What books are bad? I don't know what to come, up, what to bring out of this. I guess beware, beware people who have a tenuous relationship to politics, society, and capital when they sense that they can gain a foothold at the expense of others, either indirectly or directly, because if it's indirectly, they'll ach attain that security and then be afeared of those who did not also. Or directly by fucking them over in terms of community leaders. I guess there's also some like other like fairly obvious conclusions to draw what like with relation to like kill your darlings and whatever. Let's see, what else? Oh yeah, I guess I guess um Blairite middle class intellectualism isn't all it's cracked up to be and is the, the, the generalised fertile soil in which turfism grows. <laughs> Who knows? Like the thing is, is that this this is also stupid. Like the whole the whole like JK Rowling type tendency within turf stuff is so fucking ridiculous that I, I have serious trouble generating any kind of serious conclusion from it because there's nothing there's like there's nothing there. It's like it's got the, the the intellectual nutritional value of a desiccated cream cracker. It's completely fucked. Yeah, it is only useful in the sense that that graph that, that you analysed when you were looking through those readings was useful in, 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 in that, like, Rowling herself is, is, is pretty much an open book as, as her incredible additions to the universe of Harry Potter show us. She, she's useful because we get to see what happens when uh, a celebrity gets radicalized and what someone with a QAnon level of conspiracy theorizing will do with money and power. Yeah, if, but you know, if, if, like, if, if, if Tom Cruise had got into QAnon instead of Scientology, this is essentially what we would be looking at, except, like, you know, a bit more extreme. Yeah, it's like, but in of itself, what JK's saying is, is, is in no way interesting um, because she hasn't even come up with any of her own turf stuff. Like her original snafu, she has only been sharing basically the stuff that you see every day through Turf Twitter. So yeah, I think I think it's time to wrap up. I think we've pretty much covered everything that we can in this 
in this episode we've we've delved deep into the mind of of jk rowling and god there's i mean the thing is there's so much stuff we could still cover with her there's all of that stuff in her like later novels the fact that she's actually written novels where there's trans people in that have like these like bizarre like characterizations as with all people who've like gone through like radicalization spirals there's there's always like more shit to find but i feel like conceptually we kind of covered it yeah, we've we've diagnosed Rowling with brainworms, and we've charted the progno the, the her prognosis essentially. Prognosis, prognosis bad, deteriorating very rapidly. Deteriorating very rapidly, yeah. Um, like probably to the point where she's gonna end up going on. Actually, no, she's not gonna end up going on anyone's like fucking panel, is she? Like she's just gonna continue like tweeting from the tower. Well, you say this, but she. So there was a long-running campaign against Glinna, which did finally work. He lost his blue check, and that's why he got booted off, um, of getting people to unfollow Glinna, because lots of people did, because he was a media personality. And so people would chart the amount of followers he'd lost. People have started doing that again with Rowling, and she's already lost 300,000 in a very short period of time. That's, I mean, she's got fucking millions, but that's not too bad. No, but I guess the difference, the I guess the, the, the parting shot, the difference between uh, Glinna 2, uh, Rowling, is that no one really outwardly spoke about his embarrassing transphobia. You know, occasionally it would come to light that one of his former co-stars would have contacted him privately. But it wasn't to the level where Rowling, within a week or so, has had her superstar child actors and other actors on her franchise publicly disavow her. Yeah, like, if, Ve- you're, getting, if you're getting, like... like... Al Watson and like yeah Daniel Radcliffe and uh, Rupert Grint like saying actually this isn't on a lot of our fans are like this and we think they're great and you're being completely fucked up that's a really kind of like hardcore confrontation which yeah that's going to push to depth that Glenn and Ever reached yeah oh, oh actually um, I don't know maybe the Peter Serafinovich thing but that was the that was the, the Peter Serafinovich thing was the only example. Everyone else didn't mention it or mentioned it privately. Where she whereas she's had these huge high profile things, and and not just that, but also that trio of actors in her franchise, those were her darlings that she created in her Blairite boarding school fantasy world, and they have turned into those damn kids. Maybe we've kind of undersold how much that kind of thing might have played a role in 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 encouraging her entrenchment into the bullshit zone i guess it depends because when they started acting they were actually literally 11 and if nothing else the fact that they filmed it in britain means that she won't have had very much contact with them until they were a lot older because children can't be on film sets for very long and they they have to be supervised in a very specific way yeah that's true especially for big stuff so what's our next episode going to be on do you think I I do wonder if it is worth delving into left transphobia, not least because... Oh, I, I, absolutely it is. Definitely. Yeah. No, no, but I mean for the next episode, not least because the Labour Party is literally blowing itself up over post-Corbyn aftershocks. Um, and which this I, stuff is intrinsically connected to like liberal centrist reactions to, to Corbynism and like modern millennial Zoomer leftism. Yeah, and also specifically these aftershocks... We we spoke about it briefly in the last episode about the GRA and Truss's comments, but Keir Starmer's uh, Labour 
very specifically has also engaged with uh, transphobia in a very bad way. And also, of course, we have all of these left-wing types working for the Morning Star, you know, the Sylvia Federici's work, all that kind of stuff. And that's all recent. Okay, so possibly, possibly doing, possibly doing a nice little um, return to home for the next episode. Oh yeah, we need to cancel ourselves first. Yeah, and I think that would be, I think that would be both politically and philosophically wise. All right, this has been blood and turf. Thanks for listening, everyone. Indeed. See you next time.